airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. One of my favorite quotes about evangelism was by Bill Bright. And Bill Bright, obviously well known, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, he wrote a great book called Witnessing Without Fear. And uh, when I became a Christian, I read that book, and I was a very introverted, pretty shy college student, and I got Bill Bright's book, and there's a quote in there where Bill Bright says, success in witnessing is simply sharing Christ in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. Think about that, sharing Christ in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. Hey, Alex McFarland here. Glad to be with you on the American Family Radio Network today, sitting in for Will and Mickey Addison on this portion of the afternoon programming. And uh, I'm very honored to be here today. And tomorrow's going to be Thanksgiving, and we've got a lot to be thankful for. And I've got a guest that you don't want to miss. In the next few minutes, we're going to talk to a special guest uh, that I will introduce in just a second. But the reason I, I invited this particular guest to be on the program with me today, I thought about this with Thanksgiving coming and then, you know, Christmas and the holidays. No doubt, you're going to see a lot of family and friends. You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel. And you're going to have these evangelistic opportunities that God is no doubt going to set in front of you. And so when it comes to learning how to present, explain, or defend the Christian faith... Uh, we've got the best. And I do want to say again how much we appreciate every one of you listening to the American Family Radio Network. Most of you probably, if you do know my voice, it's from Exploring the Word, which is heard every day, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And then on the weekends, we do TNG Radio, Truth for a New Generation. And so we appreciate you listening, and I appreciate the opportunity to fill in for Will and Miki while they're on the road right now. And I'm going to give the number, write down this number, because later on in the program, we'll take some questions, your Bible questions or questions about evangelism or apologetics. The number is 888-589-8840, and a lot to be thankful for. Maybe you want to share what you're thankful for, but right now I'm thankful for the guest that we have. He's been a friend and a colleague for quite a number of years, actually. I think we first talked, I don't know, 18 years ago maybe, but the world knows Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is the best-selling author of the book, The Case for Christ, the movie that was made about his life story and the book. And he's written a number of other books, and uh, I'm reminded of one called The Case for Christmas. That's a really good gift to give this time of year. And he was uh, a very well-known journalist with the Chicago Tribune, legal affairs editor, uh, law degree from Yale University. He had made quite a name for himself um, in scholarship and publishing even before he really changed the game when it comes to Christian apologetics. And uh, listen, folks, I, I've been involved in this a long time, conferences, 
teaching. Um, a lot of great names out there like Josh McDowell and Charles Colson and people God has used. But when the Case for Christ came out, I think, I guess it was about 98, we'll ask Lee in a moment, it was a game changer. And suddenly the whole country was talking about this book by a guy named Lee Strobel. And I want to say what a blessing it is when you, there's somebody you respect, you you follow after, and then you get to know him, and he is truly the real deal. I mean, he's everything you hope a, a man of God would be and more. And he's given us a few moments of his time this afternoon to be on the program. And uh, Lee, are you there, my friend? I am, Alex. How are you doing, my friend? It's great talking with you. Well, great talking with you, brother. Thanks for making some time to be with us on the American Family Radio Network. And uh, are you in America? Where in the world are you, Lee Strobel? <laughs> yeah, I'm in Houston, Texas, which is uh, where I spend most of my time. I divide time between uh, Houston and Denver. And um, I spend about uh, most of the time down here because my two oldest grandchildren uh, live right around the corner, and we help homeschool them and um, we like to be as close to our grandkids as we can. Well, you know, there's a lot of accolades and a lot of things we could say, but I think, um, and I know you'll agree with this, um, no doubt the thing that you're probably proudest of is you've built a great family, you and your wife Leslie and Allison and Kyle. Just in a nutshell, tell us about the, the Strobel family. Well, thanks. It's a, it's a joy, especially this time of year, as our attention turns even deeper to family matters at Thanksgiving and Christmas. But my uh, daughter, Allison, is a Christian novelist. She has a half a dozen novels, works of fiction that have been published that all have the gospel woven into them. Uh, her and her husband, her husband's got a master's in apologetics, by the way, and they write children's books about God. Uh, Allison's also a homeschooling expert, and her homeschooling website, which is called goodschooling.net, uh, helps people who want to learn how to homeschool. And then my son, Kyle, uh, has a Ph.D. in theology from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, and he's a professor of theology at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University in California. So each of my kids has two children each, so i got four grandkids. Two of them are in California with my son and his wife, and then we get to be near our two oldest ones here in Houston and watch them grow up. By the way, our 11-year-old, Penelope, was just baptized uh, the other day, so wow. that was a great joy to watch that and, and to see our family uh, in the next generation, one by one, coming to faith is, is really exciting. Well, praise God. Praise God. And, uh, you know, folks, I cannot overstate how much I wish you would watch the movie, if, if you haven't already, the movie The Case for Christ. And, Lee, I've shown that to several dozen youth groups and college groups, and then we'll do a discussion afterward. Um, t tell us a little bit about making that movie. What what was it like to recreate those years of your life from, you know, journalist through skeptic and then ultimately becoming a Christian and a Christian author? Uh, just give us kind of the backstory of the making of that film. Yeah, it was, a, you know, something I never anticipated, uh, not something we sought out. We were approached by Pure Flix, the... Uh, production company to make this film, and um, it was written by my good friend Brian Bird, um, and um, so we were very involved from the beginning, uh, working with Brian on the script, uh, we were on the set for a lot of the filming, and got to interact with the actors and actresses, and uh, it was really fun, you know, um, it's about an 80 to 85 percent accurate film in terms of what really happened in our lives. 
of course, in any movie, especially when you're compressing what happened over two years into a 90-minute film, you have to do some time shifting. You have to do some composite characters. But overall, it's it's an extremely accurate film. In fact, there are some scenes that um, are, are virtually verbatim from what happened. Uh, when I, as an atheist, uh, found out my wife had become a Christian and and uh, launched me on my investigation into the evidence for, for Christianity. It's been took two years of my life. Uh, but the movie was so powerful to us that um, before it came out in the movie theaters, and by the way, it's still available on Netflix, so if people have Netflix, it's free there, they can watch it anytime. Um, the, uh, before they, it came in theaters, they sent us a link so we could watch it on our computers. And so I came home one day, and my wife Leslie was watching the movie on the computer, and I said, honey, how many times have you watched the movie? And she said, like, 13 times. And wow. I said, 13 times? Why, why do you keep watching the movie? And she said, I'm trying to get cried out uh, <laughs> so that when I watch the movie in public for the first time, I don't cry. <laughs> wow. So it's a very emotional film for us because it, it shows you know uh, some of the negatives of my life before I was a Christian. I was a, a narcissist, a heavy drinker, and I'm not proud of things I did before I came to faith. Um, but we realize that so many people won't read a book, but they will watch a movie. And if we could reach people with the gospel that way, uh, why not? And I'll tell you a funny story. I was, I was at a conference in Des Moines a few months ago, and I met a pastor, and he said, my personal ministry is that when I meet someone who's not a Christian, I invite them to come over to my house and watch the Case for Christ movie with me. Wonderful. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. I said, what's the result then? And he said, 27 people have come to faith in Christ. Praise and I thought, God. isn't that a great personal ministry that uh, that he's got to, to take advantage of that film and show it? We had 22 people come to faith at a showing in New Zealand. Uh, so God's blessed it, and, and uh, we're, we're thrilled. We're currently involved with making a movie on my new book, which is The Case for Miracles, and uh, that'll be out in a, in a year or so. Sure, sure. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Lee Strobel, best-selling author. Um, so many books we could talk about, but probably most well-known for The Case for Christ. And Lee, before we go too much farther, a website. How can people find you online? Yeah, my website is uh, leestrobel.com, L-E-E-S-T-R-O-B-E-L.com. And to find out about our new Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University, they can go to ccu.edu slash Center, all one word, ccu.edu slash Center, and there's the information about our new initiative, which is a new Center for Evangelism and Apologetics. When you were working on the case for Christ, um, did you ever? Did you have a sense that that book would become as big as it was? I mean, did you think, okay, gee, this is it. This is going to be the breakout book, uh, um, or did it start out almost like just another research project? It was like a, you know, when I did the actual research when I was an atheist checking out the faith, I, I wasn't anticipating writing a book. Uh, wasn't for a while later that my wife suggested uh, that might be a good thing to do, and and I thought, yeah, you're right, and so. Um, when I wrote the book, I, I had no anticipation that it was going to do what it did. In fact, uh, the rap on apologetics books back then is they don't sell. And yeah. um, I was actually shocked when um, you know, I'd written a couple other Christian books before I did Case for Christ. And when I proposed it to the publishers, Ondervan, I thought for sure they wouldn't want it, because nobody published apologetics books back then. 
And uh, but we prayed about it as a team, and and uh, the editors at Zondervan said we want you to do the case for Christ, and I was shocked. I said, "Why?" And they said, "When you pitched all these other book projects to us, you sat there and you told us about the idea, but when you talked about the case for Christ, you got up, you walked around the room, you were passionate, and we've learned only published books that authors are really passionate about writing." And so they took a risk on it. And the funny thing is, it came out, and it wasn't doing that well. It was, you know, percolating along, but it wasn't until... Was it 1998? um, 1998, that's right. Yeah. Um, I went on the Bible Answer Man show, you remember, with Hank Hanegraaff. Sure, And uh, at the time, it was quite a big national program, and that's what really launched it. Um, Hank talking it up really gave it a platform, and uh, it shot up to number one. Well, you, you know, I was in a Barnes & Noble somewhere. I was on the road speaking, and I'm looking through the books, and I see this book, The Case for Christ, and and it said something about, you know, investigative journalist Lee Strobel, and I was like, huh. And I start thumbing through it, and I see this name that was a very close personal family friend, Gary Habermas. Yeah. And, and I called Dr. Habermas, who was a reader on one of my degrees on my thesis, and I said, hey, do you know this guy, Lee Strobel? And he goes, yeah, and he tells me all about it. And um, I was very thrilled that Habermas figures prominently in the film. Yes. He, he, you know, he's one of my favorite people of all time. I mean, he's just a great, big-hearted, Amen. wonderful human being and follower of Christ. And Amen. a great scholar, probably the leading expert in the world on the resurrection. In fact, as you may know, he's working on his magnum opus on the resurrection. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's already almost got 5,000 pages written. Um, So this is going to be the ultimate book on the resurrection. And uh, he was one of the scholars I interviewed. You know, in my books, I'm not a scholar. I I I don't consider myself a a scholar, but I'm a journalist. I'm trained in journalism and law. And so I use those techniques to access uh, uh, these scholars and and kind of translate their material into um, uh, stuff that everyday people can understand, people like me. And so it's the old thing, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, uh, make it more accessible. And so that's always been my uh, goal, is to take these great scholars like Bruce Metzger and and William Lane Craig and Gary Habermas and and to to expose a a wider audience to their thinking uh, by just translating their stuff into language that other everyday people can, uh, can understand. Hey, can you hang on briefly through this commercial break? Sure. And, uh, hey, folks, we're talking with Lee Strobel of The Case for Christ, great apologist, great Christian leader. Stay tuned, and we're going to come back, and uh, we'll try to squeeze in a call or two, 888-589-8840. Alex McFarland here on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. We're back with Lee Strobel after this brief break. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. The preacher felt justified in his dislike and hatred for the people God called him to preach to. After all, they would raid his town and home and rape and murder and plunder his people. It was insult on top of injury that God would call him to preach to them. That's why Jonah refused and fled, going west to Tarshish rather than north to Nineveh. You know the rest of the story. Jonah wound up repenting and went to Nineveh. Sure enough, Jonah preached, Nineveh repented, and was converted. That awakening by God lasted for 150 years. 
Yet Jonah remained angry and bitter until chastened by God again. Whom God loves, he chastens. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt, credit card debt, and I heard a commercial for Trinity. I gave them a call. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called, I was a little embarrassed and kind of ashamed, and I looked at the numbers and I saw how quickly that astronomical debt that was in my life would go away. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. What I would tell other people, please pick up the phone and call Trinity. Just let them put together a program and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Now, more than ever, preborn babies need your help. A mother's womb has now become the unsafest place in America, with abortion being the leading cause of death and babies being aborted up to term in some states. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, helping moms choose life. You see, when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. American Family Radio Network airing the Addison's Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Mickey. And we've got on the phone Lee Strobel. What an honor. And uh, LeeStrobel.com is the website. And hey, before we forget, Lee, I want to say to you and Leslie and your dear family, I hope you guys have a blessed and happy Thanksgiving. And uh, thanks for making time to be on the program today. Well, thanks. I hope you and Angie have a great Thanksgiving as well. And, and all the listeners, it's a wonderful opportunity to turn our attention to God and to thank Him for all He's blessed us with this year and and beyond. And uh, so, and then, of course, that opens the door to the Christmas season, which even when I was an atheist, I loved the Christmas season, uh, because uh, how can you not like getting gifts and going to holiday parties and things like that? Um, so it's a great time of the year where people are more spiritually open than normal. Exactly. And, you know, I told you this uh, 15 years ago or whenever it came out, but the book, The Case for Christmas, I said, I can die happy now because uh, you you actually quote me in The Case for Christmas, um, (laughs) something for which I'm (laughs) eternally grateful. That's right. I remember that. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Yep. It's funny. You know, it's it's been a a joy that that 
book is so inexpensive. I mean, you can get it online at uh, any online retailer for about a dollar each. And I just, every every year about this time, I order a bunch of them and, and just give them away. You know, if I have a meal at a restaurant and I'll leave a nice tip for the server and give them a copy of the book. And I just spread them around because um, sure. people are intrigued by the case for Christmas. What do you mean? Do you mean there's actual historical evidence this is true? And I think it's a, it takes people off guard, and and I think people are more spiritually receptive this time of the year than probably any other time of the year. Oh well, I agree. I agree. And you know, um, let, let's transition, and we're going to um, take some calls, folks. What a rare opportunity to talk with Lee Strobel, because Lee had a caller uh, last week say, "Hey, I've got a, a friend, and I know we'll see him over Christmas, and they're a friend from many years past, but they're an atheist. You know, what can I say?" So let's talk about some things, how during, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we can, you know, have these opportunities to sow a seed of of Jesus' love and truth into the lives of people. And um, uh, Lee, can we go to the phones now? Are you okay with that? Sure. Hey, um, I think we have online Becky in Texas. Becky, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for holding, and uh, welcome to AFR and our very special guest, Lee Strobel. I'm hoping you can a training program apologetics for children because uh, I live in a pretty small country town and have anything like that in my church and I would like to get something started and and I've read quite a few apologetics books but I need something like I don't learn how to do things in books. I need something where I can interact with people and and see how they are. Yeah, I think you're breaking up a little bit, but Lee, I think it was basically apologetics for children. Do you know of anything? Yeah, you know, I think that is so important. Um, I read an interesting blog, and I wish I could remember the name of the woman that wrote it recently, but she said uh, a lot of our Sunday schools are teaching our young people how to be secular humanists. In other words, what a lot of our Sunday schools are doing is they're taking stories from the Bible, and they're teaching um, values from those stories. So in other words, they teach the story of David and Goliath, and they say, look, it's a story about the value of courage. And they tell the story about Moses, and they say, look, it's a story about leadership. Well, guess what? Secular humanists believe in leadership. They believe in courage as well. What we're not teaching our young people in Sunday school, unfortunately, is why they can trust the Bible in the first place. Not just to tell them stories from the Bible, but why can we believe that the Bible is true? Why can we trust that this really is the Word of God and that we can build our lives on it? So I think apologetics ought to be taught at the youngest ages in Sunday school classes and in our families. Um, And we can do that. In fact, um, all of my main books, my Case for series, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for Creator, The Case for Grace, The Case for Miracles— have all been done also in children's formats. So mm-hmm. we have the Case for Christ for Kids, for example, the Case for Miracles for Kids. And I work with an expert uh, from Focus on the Family who is a expert in communicating to young people to take our, uh, my material, and we work together to really make it accessible and understandable to the littlest of kids. And so those books are all available, and, I, and I'm hoping the family sees that opportunity to have conversations with their children about not just what we believe, but why we believe it, to give them a solid foundation to grow up, understanding that our faith is not built on 
fairy tales or mythology or make-believe, but it's built on a solid foundation of historical truth. Amen. And it is so important to ingrain these things in the hearts and lives of our kids at a very young age. And thanks for that call, Becky. We're going to go to Brad in Georgia. By the way, folks, the number, 888-589-8840, rare opportunity to ask a question, an apologetics question, and maybe evangelism from Lee Strobel, our guest today. Brad in Georgia, are you there? Uh, Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for holding. Uh, Welcome to the show. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank uh, your guest, uh, Lee Strobel, back in October of, of 2000. I was a college student uh, searching for answers for the truth, totally lost. Uh, I stopped by a church, and the guy handed me the case for Christ, and that set me on a, on a path that it was soon after that I gave my life to Christ. So that book was pivotal in my conversion, and I just want to thank thank God. I thank God for for men that write books like this. It's it's uh, the blessing. That that is so awesome. That that just makes my week to hear that story, <laughs> Brad. I'm thrilled that God used my book in your life. Um, it's the joy of writing books, you know that. Here we've never met, and yet God used that book to influence your life for Him, and and uh, that's why I love writing books. That you know I can be asleep in my bed here in Houston, and uh, on the other side of the planet in China, someone is watching our movie or is is reading a book, and uh, and God can use that to change lives. So I am thrilled that uh, that God used that in your life. That that really is exciting. It really. Um, you know, for and Alex understands this. You know, as, as we're evangelists at our core, we want to Amen. see people come to faith in Christ. We want to see their lives changed, their eternities rewritten. And when we hear stories like that, it 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 really uh, hits us deeply. So thank. You. Amen. Oh, thank you, Brad. Thank you so much. We're going to go to John in Mississippi. Triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. If you would like to. Say a word or have a question with Lee Strobel. John, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi. I, I have to. I have to say, probably the two uh, books I give away most would be the Case for Christ, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Besides, oh yeah, Bible. Frank Turek and uh, Norm Geis. That's a great book too. I yeah. love yeah. that. Yeah, they, they're both great books. Uh, gentlemen, and either one of you could answer the question, but Lee, uh, take first crack at it. What's the most common objection or question you have from non-Christians about Christianity? And then the second part would be, what's the most difficult question or an objection that you have to answer from those who aren't Christian? Yeah, so what's the most diff- what's, what's the most common or more difficult question that people tend to ask? Is that the question? Yes, sir. Yeah. I actually did a survey. I hired uh, George Barna, who does public opinion polling, and I did a, a scientific poll of American adults, and I asked the question, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And and the number one question by a factor of 20 was some variation of the question, um, why does God allow pain and suffering? Yeah, that yeah. is by far, I think, the most difficult question, and I think the most common question that uh, American adults ask. 
And it used to be, you know, I would get in a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, and I would ask them that question. If you could ask God any one question, you knew he'd give you an answer, what would you ask him? And most of the time, it would be some variation of why does he allow pain and suffering. I used to then give them a five-point sermon on why God allows pain and suffering, but I don't do that anymore. What I do now is I ask them a follow-up question, and the follow-up question is, of all the possible questions in the universe, why did you ask that one? And now you get to the emotional side. Now they say, because my wife has just been diagnosed with breast cancer, or we lost a child in childbirth five years ago, and, and I want to know where was God when that happened. You get to a, a you get to the real uh, meat of the issue. It's not often that it's merely an intellectual objection. There's often, more often, there's a personal issue involved, and then um, you know I can connect with them on a very personal and a human level. I can put my arm around their shoulder and I can be Jesus to them, and I can pray with them, and I can encourage them, and. And yes, I can give them answers why there's pain and suffering in the world. In fact, my book, The Case for Faith, has about a 55-page answer to that question. But, you know, God didn't just give us an answer. He gave us the answerer. He gave us Jesus. Mm. And um, these days in this world where, um, you know, we can get into debates about what's true and what isn't about God, um, often I I, I prefer to connect on on these very personal levels where um, uh, where we can really minister to people and, and through that help them see Jesus in us. And that that's so true, Lee. I completely agree. Um, for for one of my books, I interviewed thirty four professed atheists, including Christopher Hitchens and uh, Michael Shermer and a number of others. And out of thirty four atheists with whom I had conversation, uh, twenty eight were ex Protestants. And I used to say that um, emotional pain sometimes leads to skepticism. Now I say uh, the road to skepticism virtually always begins with emotional pain. And that that does some variation of the problem of evil and suffering is kind of uh, the most common objection, isn't it? It is. And, you know, you mentioned Michael Shermer, who's a friend of mine, who's the founder and editor of Skeptic Magazine, an atheist. And if you listen to his story, he was a uh, follower of Jesus, and his girlfriend, who he hoped to marry, was in a terrible car accident and became paralyzed from the neck down. And um, and, and he prayed for her healing, which uh, did not come. And um, that was kind of the final nail in the coffin of his faith. Uh, so there you have an emotional issue, really, I think, driving uh, perhaps some of the intellectual objections that a person has. So I think we have to be cognizant of that. Um, another way this manifests itself is that if you look at the famous atheists of history, uh, Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, Feuerbach, O'Hare, all of them had a father who either um, <clears throat> uh, died when they were young or divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a very difficult uh, 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 relationship. And the implication is, if your earthly father has hurt or disappointed you, you don't really want to know a heavenly father. You'll fend off a heavenly father. You won't seek out a heavenly father. You think he's just going to be worse. And I had a very difficult relationship with my dad, and it's hinted at in our movie. Um, My dad told me that um, on the eve of my high school graduation, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. 
And so, mm. uh, did that drive my skepticism and my atheism? I think it had a. I think it was a factor, and it's, I, I wasn't aware of it at the time. But I think, looking back, I think it may have been one of the reasons why I wrote, went down the road to atheism. So I think we, as Christians, have to understand that 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 when people ask us about objections to faith, often they're just trying to fend off God, and um, uh, they're not being. Um, unreasonable. It's not an intentional thing, but often there is a psychological or an emotional wound there that is driving it. Uh, By the way, C.S. Lewis has a great antidote for this father phenomenon. He says, and I say this to people when I find out that they had a father who died when they were young or disappointed or hurt them, I say, can you imagine what the perfect father would be like? What would the perfect father be like? He'd be kind, he'd be gentle, he'd be loving, he'd be your biggest cheerleader, he'd be accepting of you. Well, that is a picture of your Heavenly Father. Uh, He is different than our earthly fathers. He is perfect and loving and gracious and kind, and that is the one who (laughs) we need to know for eternity. Amen. Uh, Time fleets away. I want to try to get Stephanie in here. Stephanie, are you there? Stephanie. Yes, I am. Okay. Hey, we're almost out of time, but quickly, if you can get a question out for Lee Strobel. Yes, I can. Uh, My question is this. I have been in two terrible accidents in my lifetime. I'm an adult, but I'm a young adult, like, well, a middle age, 45. And I have a question of how do I, when I can't regularly even make it to church, sometimes I can, how do I reach, I try to reach people in public if I am in public, but what more can I do besides pray or witness? Uh, to be effective in some way uh, for people who are lost. God bless you for wanting to. Lee, what do you say? Yeah, I I think it's great that you want to reach out that way. I think a couple things. Number one, don't rule out prayer as being unimportant or significant. I mean, I think, you know, Jesus' prayers for lost people continued right up until his final gasps on the cross as he prayed repeatedly, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, So we should be praying for lost people. Um, I think one one possibility is to use the Internet. I'm on Twitter, and uh, I, I interact regularly with over 200,000 people on Twitter and try to encourage them and try to reach out to them. I've had wonderful spiritual uh, connections with some people on social media. So, you know, there can be good and there can be bad on social media, but I think to be a force for good and to look for ways to encourage people, uh, that's something we can do from our homes. Hey, Lee, thanks for making time for us. Uh, we got to pull away. And again, uh, love and prayers. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your great family. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you. God bless you and, and uh, Angie. God bless you, Alex. God bless. And most of all, Lee Strobel, thank you for what you do for the gospel and for the kingdom of Christ. Hey, you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here today with you. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about evangelism and apologetics during the holidays. Your calls, questions, and more when we come back. After this, don't go away. I've never forgotten Cademan. Hi, it's Michael with Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years at only $5 a Bible. I visited Eastern Africa and worshipped outdoors on a 100-degree Sunday. Some of those had walked two hours just to be there. And afterwards, I met Cademan, a man about 30 with a wife and two children. He was hunched over a table, copying scriptures from an open Swahili language Bible onto a piece of paper. He was frantic as he rode quickly, but then his face grew sad as he closed that Bible 
and returned it to its rightful owner. You see, in this congregation of 500, fewer than 10 had a Bible. I've never forgotten Cademan, this godly brother, desperate to take a few scriptures into his week to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And that's why I love what Bible League does, engaging the world with the hope of God's Word. Will you be a part of this kingdom work? Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or click sendbiblesnow.com. That's sendbiblesnow.com. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, I love that you're saying Merry Christmas. But what's Christmas all about? Oh, man, it's about presents and family and love. Well, yeah, but it's really about Jesus. He came for you. Merry Christmas. Thanks, man. Wear and share the AFA Christmas button to remind people about Jesus. He came for you. Visit afastore.net to order in packs of 10. Order before December 12th to make sure you get your buttons before Christmas. That's afastore.net. Good news! From all of us at American Family Radio, thank you for packing a shoebox for a needy child as a part of the Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Campaign. Not only will a child receive a gift-filled shoebox, but they'll hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's an opportunity for life-changing discipleship afterwards. If you didn't have time to pack a shoebox, it's not a problem. You can build one online. Visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC. Here are Tim and Riley Wildman for the AFA Foundation. Riley, I know Dan Celia uh, works with us at the AFA Foundation. In fact, he advises you guys all the time. And you hear about him talk about the AFA Foundation on his radio program. Uh, so you work closely with Dan? Yes, sir. I do. And so it, so does Chelsea and Jessica. So Dan Celia of, of Financial Issues, a charitable gift annuity is probably the most popular product, if you will, that you guys offer in the AFA Foundation. What does that do? You basically give a lump sum to AFA and then in return you receive a fixed amount uh, coming back to them for the rest of their life and then when they pass away the money is left to AFA to um, leave a legacy. Contact Riley Wildman and her staff at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543 extension 345. When I look in Famous Christian leader John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, I read a Wesley quote that just puts fire in my heart. John Wesley said, we have nothing to do but the saving of souls. That's really the job of the church and the job, really the privilege of each and every Christian. I, I think evangelism and sharing Jesus and seeing people come to faith, that's, that's not a have to, that's a get to. Hey, welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here sitting in for Will and Miki on Airing the Addison's. And we've been talking with Lee Strobel about evangelism and apologetics. We're going to continue the conversation here. I believe we have on hold Martin from Arkansas. Martin, are you there? Yes. Thanks for holding. And folks, the number is 888 if you've got a question about apologetics or evangelism. Uh, Lee Strobel has stepped away, but I do want to keep this conversation going. So, Martin, what's your question? I was hoping to be able to speak to Lee, but Alex, I'd love to speak to you about this. Uh, I think the greatest case for evangelism is in the book of Revelation in the seventh chapter, when it speaks of the 144,000 
who go out and evangelize the world and speak. In fact, in the Word, it speaks of a number that no one could number. It's the number who would come to Jesus during that time. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. And in fact, um, during the tribulation, mo most scholars would agree with this. And I'm glad you bring this up because, by the way, folks, a uh, little plug here. Uh, I'm going to be at The Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove, in July to teach Daniel and Revelation. We're going to, um, I, I titled that seminar, uh, How God Writes History in Advance. And the Billy Graham Training Center is in Western North Carolina. Their website is The Cove the C-O-V-E, thecove.org. We had um, the director of the Cove, Will Graham, son of Franklin Graham, on the show Monday. Uh, but um, thank you, Martin. You know, in Revelation 7, it talks about uh, 12,000 Jewish evangelists, really Jewish Billy Grahams, that get commissioned during the tribulation, and they lead people to Christ. And like you say, you know, there is this multitude in heaven of people, the tribulation believers and the tribulation martyrs that were led to Christ during those um, those turbulent years by the 144,000. So, um, how is that is very inspirational, Martin? How's that a uh, motivation for you, my friend? Well, it, it motivates me to share the gospel, but it also gives me hope. We have a, a God of great grace and great mercy. And the hope is that even after we're taken out of here, and I speak of the harpazo, or what many refer to as the rapture, we have a hope that after we are taken out of here, the world is going to be evangelized with these 144,000 young men, all of them virgins, of course, mm -hmm. and they are going to evangelize the world like no one has ever done before. And I think that more people will be saved during that time than any time in history. I may be wrong about that. But I have faith that God is going to use these young men in a miraculous way. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it makes me speechless just to talk about it. Uh, it, it, it just speaks, it screams loudly of God's grace and mercy, even during the time of the tribulation. Amen. And, and you know what? Um, the New Testament talks about the, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit um, being drawn out of the way. And, and as the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is at least partially removed, the tribulation just erupts on planet Earth. And to uh, the caller's point, listen to this, folks. If a multitude of people would be saved during the tribulation, and 144,000 just passionate evangelists go forth, and they're willing to be martyred for the gospel, and this verse 9 of Revelation 7, this great multitude, which is innumerable, no man could number of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues, before the throne of the Lamb. I mean, if, if that many people could be saved in a time of world history when the Holy Spirit is partially removed, imagine now the church age, while the Holy Spirit is still operative, listen, if, if we were out there passionately evangelizing, um, so many people could get saved. Bill Bright, who... I was so privileged, oh my goodness, what a privilege, when I was at Liberty University in the early 90s, uh, Bill Bright of Campus Crusade taught personal evangelism, and his son Brad Bright, who a very wonderful man of God, Brad told me that, he, as far as he knew, that was the last time his dad ever taught personal evangelism at a university campus, and I was in that class. 
Bill Bright said, now think about this, and we're going to go to Rufus in Texas, but think about this, folks. If everybody who is saved would lead a soul to Christ in the next 12 months, and then they would lead a soul to Christ, and they would... So if every believer would evangelize one person, we would run out of people in under eight years, because it would be just this multiplicative effect you know, of doubling. And so uh, you can be a witness, and, and we must. Thank you for that great call and that inspiration. I want to go to Rufus in Texas. By the way, folks, the number is 888-589-8840. We would love to hear from you about apologetics or evangelism, how to share the gospel with friends and family over the holidays. Rufus from Texas, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I listen to you, and, and you guys are always uh, uh, right on. I mean, I, I love listening to you discuss the uh, apologetics, the scriptures. It's all good. Bless you. Do you have a question or comment? Well, I, I did Diana? have that question about uh, Paul. Are you there? Yes, sir. Hello? Yes, okay. I'm here. I have that question about Paul. Paul says, in the face of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. And I'm just having a little difficulty uh, accepting some of what he says, especially about his uh, his call, his, uh, his uh, Damascus Road experience. And where he got his knowledge from, that's something else I'd like to know. Good question. Good question. Uh, thanks very much. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament, uh, and it's interesting that in Second um, Corinthians 13, 1, he says what you said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall a matter be established. Let me let me chase a rabbit here for a little bit, folks. When when I speak at university campuses, sometimes people will um, say that the Apostle Paul quote invented Christianity, and that a lot of uh, what Paul writes in the New Testament we we shouldn't take because Paul invented Christianity. But here's the thing: the Apostle Paul, check this out, folks. First Corinthians fifteen three through five. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, Paul says, I gave unto you that which I first received, how that Christ died was buried according to the Scriptures. Now, in Acts chapter 9, we read about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He was persecuting the church, and Saul of Tarsus was on his way to um, Damascus, and he sees this blinding light. He meets Jesus, and he loses his sight but he gets his vision because he is converted to Christ and he becomes uh, not the great persecutor of the church, but the greatest evangelist and church planner, missionary, pastor ever. Now, let me, let me try to defend what Paul teaches and preaches and what Paul writes. For one thing, the gospel, the death, deity, and resurrection of Christ predates Paul because if you read in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches at Pentecost, and it's Peter. Uh, I mean, if skeptics want to say that the gospel was invented, well, it wasn't Paul because Peter was preaching this gospel way before the conversion of Saul in in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, it's related. 
Uh, but the other thing is the book of Acts, the, the book of early, you know, history of the early church, was written by Luke the physician. And there have been many skeptics, I, I think, of uh, a number of skeptics, not the least of whom was a, a guy named, um, um, oh golly, it'll come to me here in just a second. Um, William F. Albright, William F. Albright, who's been called the Dean of Biblical Archaeologists, he was converted on the strength of Luke and Acts because he said Luke was such a meticulous historian. And later things that are referenced in the book of Acts, archaeologists discovered to be true because Luke was so meticulous. So the um, Damascus Road conversion that is described in Paul's own words in Acts 9, 22, and 26, I mean, that was known to the witnesses, recorded by Luke, and Luke, by the way, just known for his meticulous uh, attention to detail. So uh, I think we can trust what Paul says, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that he was writing under the directive of the Holy Spirit, and he was, uh, as Luke would, uh, I'm sorry, Peter would later say, brother Paul. So later on, Peter would even affirm what Paul had written as Scripture. Rufus, I thank you for that great conversation starter there. But I want to go to Mario in Arkansas, uh, or is it Marlowe? I'm sorry, Marlowe in Arkansas. Are you there? Yeah, Alex, this is Marlowe. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Anna. Thanks. I'm thanks for holding. Yeah, you said judo, Judeo-Christian Christianity. Why do we say uh, Jew or Judo? That's just one tribe. And why don't we say Hebrew Christians instead of I mean, I'm, I've just always wondered about that. You got a uh, great question. Great question. But um, the the kingdom of Judah, um, when Israel split, Judah was the southern kingdom, uh, and the northern kingdom was Israel. Now. Christians and Jews share the moral code of Exodus 20, uh, commonly called the Ten Commandments, but also known throughout the world, the basic... You know, it's interesting, folks, I've often mentioned this book by C.S. Lewis called The Abolition of Man. Uh, Lewis, as Lee Strobel mentioned earlier in the show, C.S. Lewis was a skeptic, became a Christian uh, as an adult professor after a life of atheism. And C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Abolition of Man that talks about how people everywhere have this moral knowledge. We shouldn't lie or steal. It's called natural law. And Lewis was per persuaded that there must be a lawgiver because written on the hearts of all people was a moral law. And so even though we call it the Judeo-Christian ethic, Jews and Christians believe the Ten Commandments, it's not merely a religious position that um, sociologists, historians, theologians, scholars have long documented. And folks, this is hugely interesting, that human beings have this moral awareness. We, we, we should not murder, lie, steal, kill. And think about this, folks. This argues against what should be suggested by atheism and evolution. I mean, if we just evolved happenstance just by accident, you know, purposeless, undirected chance, and we evolved, why is it? Why do all people everywhere have this moral awareness? Now, now I'm not saying that we always do what's right. We very often don't. We, we betray our conscience. We do what's wrong, and that's called sin. But deep in our heart, we do know 
what's right. And that's why, you know, I think of Marvin Alasky, uh, PhD from Harvard, was an atheist and a communist. He became a Christian editor of World Magazine. He said the thing that persuaded him was the reality of moral knowledge. Jay Budiszewski, UT Austin, political science professor, brilliant, brilliant academic. Um, Jay Budiszewski wrote this book called What You Can't Not Know. And it was the, the reality of moral knowledge that persuaded him there must be a creator God. And so share that with people over the holidays. Uh, we probably have time for one more call, Seth from Michigan. And by the way, I just got a speaking invitation. I'll be in Michigan in like April, I think it is. But Seth, we're so glad to have you on the American Family Radio Network. What you got, my friend? Hey, uh, Ezekiel 38, you read about Gog and Magog war and the hook being drawn, uh, put in a jaw and drawn down in the war by God. Uh, uh, you know, you hear preachers talking, they say, well, that's modern-day Russia. And you look where Russia is in, in, you know, in the Middle East right now, what they're doing, and uh, you think, wow, so is that a matter of opinion that that is modern-day Russia, or is that facts? And then they talk about the temple being, uh, the talks of the, uh, pushing this uh, temple being built, and the priest already being hired, I hear, and all this stuff come together. I think, wow, why aren't we talking about this? Is is this stuff a uh, uh, matter of opinion, or is this, or, you know, is this tangible? So I'll, I'll hang well, up and listen. God, God bless you. Um, I really do think activities in the Middle East, and certainly the rebirth of the nation of Israel, are one of the greatest indicators of the truth of God's Word. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, uh, Israel didn't exist for 1,800-plus years. And skeptics mocked the Bible because of that. But here's the thing. Russia um, will invade Israel from the north, Ezekiel 38, 15, and 16, when the Jews are in their own land. Now think about it. Um, this Rosh, R-O-S-H, Ezekiel 38, 3, Rosh in Hebrew, many have uh, taken that to be the tribes that were in this area uh, of what is now Russia. And near the end times, this powerhouse from the north, Rosh, would invade Israel, and Israel would be in their land at the time of that invasion. And uh, so, you know, right now, as Russia and China form a, a political and military alliances, hey, keep your eyes on the Middle East. Folks, happy Thanksgiving. God bless you, and thank you for listening to the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here. We'll be with you again soon. God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.